What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. Welcome back, my friends, to the Minding Wellness Podcast. This week, I am honored to bring on Sammy Pickens. Sammy is a clinical pharmacy supervisor of Transitions of Care at North Florida Regional Medical Center in Gainesville, Florida, and a two-time breast cancer survivor. At the age of 28, she was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer and underwent an aggressive double mastectomy and reconstruction and started hormone therapy. Six months later, she was re-diagnosed with breast cancer and underwent surgery, chemo, and radiation. Through this process, she has learned how to advocate for patients more than ever. Sammy joins me today to talk about her journey, about some of the things that maybe surprised her about the medical system, and some of her advice for those of you who may find yourself in a similar situation. I hope that you find this valuable and insightful. Enjoy. Okay, I am super excited to bring you Sammy Pickens today. Her story is truly inspiring. I've been diving into her blog and learning more about her journey, and I know that she will have so many amazing insights for all of you. And so I'm just really honored to have you on, Sammy. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to share my story some more. Absolutely. Well, and first, before we get started, we're going to get to the to the goods, but first, you recently turned 30, so I feel like a happy birthday is in order. I will save everybody from my singing, but I wanted to say <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're so welcome. All right, so as we start with every podcast, what does true wellness mean to you? I really think that true wellness is being comfortable in your own skin, and to me, it would be being a little bit better today than I was yesterday. Sometimes that's very small things for me right now that's drinking a little bit more water each day. <laughs> um, but you know, whatever that is to you in that time frame, um, little things I think become great habits. And then that really incorporates into your full true wellness, which would include not just physical well being, but also emotional and um, spiritual well being. Mm, I so love the, the prioritization and the emphasis on what I guess the majority of people would consider small, but certainly aren't small because getting good hydration is super impactful for all of us. And oftentimes it seems like a small insignificant thing, but you're right. It can grow to a, an amazing habit that our, our bodies are, are asking for. And we just, it seems so small that we're we're neglecting that. So I, I appreciate the emphasis on that. All right, yeah. let's dive into your background, which interestingly parallels mine from a professional experience standpoint. And then of course, tying that into how and when your health journey started. Okay. Um, yeah. So I am a clinical pharmacist at a hospital. I'm a supervisor for our med rec program. Um, so that's my, my full-time job. And I graduated in 2017 from the University of Florida. So had been a pharmacist for about uh, two and a half years or so before I was diagnosed the first time with breast cancer. So that's definitely given me a interesting perspective on 
everything cancer related, having that clinical knowledge beforehand, but not really knowing the patient side of things until I was put into um, that side. So it's giving me the opportunity to really share um, both sides at once. Mm-hmm. I, um, I I love that you know, I, I always say clinical pharmacist, and I always wonder if people have any idea what I'm saying. So <laughs> I love that you're also um, in that field and that you've worked alongside medical teams and have that sort of um, interpersonal relationship with, with the medical team, because that def- definitely does play into how your, your journey plays out. So let's uh, dive a little bit into sort of the, the beginnings of this. So, so when did you notice that there was a an, an potential concern and how did this kind of play out from a timeline standpoint and um, also just from an emotional and spiritual standpoint? Yeah, so I was 28. So it was the beginning of 2019 in February. Um, I'm really into working out. So I actually have been training for um, a half marathon. It's been one of those things for a couple of years. I'd always want to do a half marathon. So I'd start training, you know, something happens, you know, like oh, next year's the year. So I was sure in 2019 that that was going to be the year of my half marathon. So I've been training really hard, um, kind of pushed myself too hard, ended up having like a stress fracture in my right foot. Um, so was put into a beat, a boot for that. So I actually was unable to run. So I, of course, still wanted to be working out because that's how I deal with a lot of my stress on a day-to-day basis. So I was doing a ton of push-ups, um, you know, to, I was doing something, you know, with my upper body mm-hmm. since I couldn't use my my legs. So I was so sore from doing push-ups, I was actually pushing on my, like, pec muscles after a shower. Um, and when I had pushed down the side on the left side, I actually felt a very small, um, I'd say, like, almost like a seed um, on my left breast and, you know, honestly having cancer never really crossed my mind, you know, like I knew it was a a possibility, but it was kind of like a, okay, this must be like from a muscle or something like that. You know, I'm so healthy. There's no way it's, it's anything serious. So if it's still there in two weeks, I will go to my OBGYN, you know, have her fill it, fill it and see what, what happens from there. So, um, two weeks, you know, passed. And honestly, at that point, I knew it probably wasn't great because um, the lump had gotten bigger in those two weeks. So I knew that was a a bad sign. Um, But I had her feel it. And she, you know, of course, was like on the side of caution, we need to do a mammogram, and possibly an ultrasound, but, you know, was very positive saying, you know, there's so many reasons to have cysts or lumps that are non cancerous, and it could definitely be just that but we need to go ahead and get it checked out. So, um, you know, it was about a month from the time I felt it to when I actually got my mammogram and ultrasound, which all happened on the the same day. And then everything kind of played out from there. Um, Interestingly enough, with no medical background, past medical history, um, my mammogram was kind of hard to schedule, which I found to be frustrating because she said, like, I needed to get it done as soon as possible. And when I called, um, they kind of put me at the bottom of the list because I was 28 and didn't really have um, too much concern of what it could be. So I found that interesting. Um, My second battle with breast cancer, I saw how different it is once you have a past medical history. So I think it's important to know to fight for yourself at the very beginning. Um, At that point, I didn't know any better yet. So I kind of just said, okay, if it takes a month to get it, that's what it takes. Um, Wish I could change that now. Okay. Very interesting because I, I just started having mammograms at 40, so I haven't been through that. So that's a really interesting insight, despite the doctor indicating on there the clinical assessment of urgency, the age group and the lack of past medical history 
presented an obstacle for you, which is is unfortunate. It shouldn't obviously be that way, but it's an interesting insight that um, not a lot of people I think would realize that. So that's that's interesting. Okay, and the other interesting point here is that the initial well, a lot of this is interesting. One is that you may not have noticed this if you had not been in the boot and subsequently focused on upper body strength. Is that, do you kind of feel like that? You probably, I mean, I, I know, I mean, I know I'm in the medical field and I certainly am a proponent of monthly breast exams. I can't say that I'm consistent about doing that. So would you assume that you probably wouldn't have noticed that at least for a while? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it would probably have been a couple of months. You know, I think I eventually have gotten bigger where I would have felt it, but yeah, it was, that was definitely from being sore that I found it as fast as I did. Mm, okay. And, and, and a seed is how you would, it would say or describe the size of it, which is tiny. I mean, that's pretty tiny, right? Yes, it was extremely tiny. <laughs> mm, okay. And so, yeah, really all really interesting points because I think that there can be assumptions that, when we're feeling a lump, you know, I think if somebody has never had that experience or known somebody who's had that, they've maybe felt it too. It, it, you would, I think, assume it would be something much more significant in size. And so I just wanted to point that out in case anybody listening feels something super tiny as well, that nothing is, is small, too small and to be insignificant, like just go ahead and get it checked out. So I wanted to make sure that we pointed those things out. Okay. So you, um, you certainly are a, an amazing writer. And so I was kind of diving in and digging into your, to your blog posts and I'll, I'll share that on the, sh- the show notes. People can, can go to that and read that if they aren't currently following it. Um, so we talk about, you talked about in your blog post about diagnosis day, and I kind of, um, really kind of felt like I was with you through those emotions, kind of take us through that day and how, you know, crucial it was to have support, you know, what are some of the things that, that helped get you through hearing those words? Because I think that's, I'm, I'm probably burned in your memory. I mean, it's such a significant set of words to hear, especially at that age, but certainly at any age. So kind of take us through that. Yeah, I think it's like one of those moments you kind of, you see it pictured in like movies or you've like heard of someone explain where um, you get like that ringing in your ears and you, you know, you almost feel like dizzy or like there's no way this is happening or you start, you know, you, you know, you're, it's real life, but you're like, there's no way this is actually real life and your mind can almost not even process as quickly as the things are being said to you. So I remember being in the car and I was driving home um, from work that day and I knew they were calling, you know, and working at the hospital where I got a lot of the things done. Um, you know, I knew the surgeon, not really on a, on a personal level before this, but like knew of him, you know, knew when he was usually in and out of the OR. Why hasn't he called you yet? It's getting late for him, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, I was, I was in the car, he called and I remember him saying like, you know, it's an invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, we don't know anything yet about staging or, or anything. All I can tell you is that's what it is. And we have some markers we can tell you about when I see you in the office. Um, and I was just kind of like silent. <laughs> so he was like, are you, did you hear me? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, but your, your mind's kind of just like, do I understand? I don't know if I understand because it's not how I thought this was going to go. Um, so, you know, I kept, you know, I drove the rest. Of, I said, okay, great. You know, see you Monday in the office. Um, and I think this was on a Thursday. I, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think it was a Thursday though. So um, I got home. Well, on my way home, actually, I called 
my husband who was home at the time, he was actually waiting to go to work because he works overnight. So he's a um, critical care nurse. So I called him and said, like, I have cancer. <laughs> and he said, what? And then he, you know, he's getting emotional. And instead of talking to him on the phone, I just said, I'll be right home and like hung up on him, which <laughs> in retrospect, wasn't probably the best thing. But at that time, I like couldn't really talk. Um, so I got home probably 10 minutes later. And, you know, he was already um, at home, you know, obviously upset. So then we call, you know, I called my family and my family all works together. So my sister, I have one younger sister, and then also my mom and dad, um, they all live about three and a half hours away. So I was able to call and tell all three of them um, at once over the phone. Um, my sister actually wasn't available but at the time, but like my mom and dad were on the phone at the same time, told them on speakerphone. Um, was an awful phone call to make. Obviously, everyone was praying and hoping that this was nothing. So I knew I was... Um, you know, breaking a lot of hearts and hopes and, you know, desires and prayers that everyone had been praying. So um, told them, you know, and then we parents after that, but really having the the support of, I'm, I'm kind of an open book, which you, you get from my blog, I feel like, or just my desire to tell everybody about my story, um, which can be scary for a lot of people. But for me, it, it's really helped me mentally because I immediately learned of other people that had been through similar situations that were younger, which was really helpful for me when I felt like everything was like kind of falling apart that day. Um, and then just people knowing what was going on was really helpful to me, whether that was just sending a card in the mail the next few days or, you know, texting me and saying like, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. If you need anything, let us know. Um, you know, some of those things that you feel like, don't mean that much when you do it for somebody else. Like I can say that meant so much to me um, when you feel kind of alone and like, Oh my gosh, no one's ever been through this before around me. Um, so that's kind of what that, that first day was like. Yeah. I can only imagine how packed with emotions that was for everyone. And, and also you take on the emotions of having to drop that emotional news to your family. So it, that, that's a lot. I mean, it's a lot for anybody to, to kind of absorb and process. What would you say, you know, kind of reflecting on, you know, I think the medical system sort of has its way of, of, you know, dropping this kind of news. And in your case, it was via phone. What, you know, looking back, is there anything that you would suggest, advise, um, do differently, like process wise of how this type of news is relayed to patients? Um, I think the big thing I learned um, was that you you really need the whole team's opinion before you move forward with anything. So um, both um, the first time I was diagnosed and during my recurrence, you know, it's the, the surgeon or the person that does the biopsy that, you know, knows that you have cancer first, most likely. So they're going to be the ones to call and tell you that news. Um, then they're likely going to want to get you into their office to kind of decide, is there um, a need to remove that cancer and what are the next steps? So I think something I learned that first time was, you know, this, the surgeon's going to want to remove the cancer, which is great. But then if you have medical oncology on board, they may know of other markers that they think you should get done, or it might be genetic markers. Like for me, it was genetic markers that you should have completed prior to deciding which surgery is best for you. Um, so I think it's important having all the team on board, get all the opinions before you're scheduling any type of surgery or removal, um, to make sure it's the best for you for your specific type of, um, breast cancer or any type of cancer for that matter. 
Really good advice and insights for anybody listening who might be in that position of just hearing that news. So, you know, and I think there's just this um, difficulty and, you know, we all want to know as soon as possible, but then, you know, do we, do we want to know via phone? Do we want to be in the office? You know, it's like, is there a, right. is there a great way to hear this news? Um, and, and I guess there's really not a great answer to that because that might be very subjective and um, based on the person, but so, okay. So then you started your journey and, um, you know, being a pharmacist, you know, we, we get a little bit of, unless we're specifically trained in, you know, residency or fellowship trained in oncology, that's not necessarily a field that we, um, you know, dive too much into. We learn a little bit in school, but it's not necessarily our, our primary focus. What, um, what kind of, you know, research did you do? Did you, did you leave a lot of it up to the team? Did you, uh, spend hours looking it up as a, as a healthcare professional, how did you sort of approach the, the preparation of going into potential treatment plans? Uh, I felt like I became, I learned everything I could about breast cancer as fast as I could. So um, I had taken an elective in oncology in school just because it was something I was interested in. But like you said, you know, not residency trained. Um, many pharmacists do two years of residency to be a specialist in oncology. Um, I was lucky enough that one of my best friends from pharmacy school had decided to become residency trained in oncology. So of course, um, she was one of the first people that I reached out to and she started sending, you know, peer re reviewed journal articles and guidelines and next steps and things to think about, um, you know, via email or text. Um, I also have, you know, close friends at the hospital that are pharmacists that obviously were very um, on board with trying to do some background research for me. So I think between all of us, we all kind of learned more than we ever thought we would about breast cancer in a couple of days time, um, whether that was going on PubMed and, you know, pulling articles from databases to read about or kind of getting the national cancer um, guidelines and downloading those and figuring out, you know, what kind of genetic markers should be looked at? What are the next steps? What will be normal? Um, I love having questions prepared. So I feel like that's something, no matter if you're, health professional or not, you know, there's lots of organizations online that give you like the American Cancer Society and, and lots of other ones that I've, I've learned about that give you kind of uh, questions to have for your providers, whether it's medical oncology, radiation, surgery, etc. So I think going in and knowing what questions were important for me to ask made me feel so much more empowered and in control of the situation, even though, you know, you really aren't in control. Obviously, I had to do something to be Treated. I knew I wanted to be treated. I wanted to be cured. Um, being a pharmacist, I knew that was going to, for me, be medical. I know some people, you know, d decide not to go through medical treatment for cancer, but for me, that's what I believe in. So that's what I wanted to do. Um, so having as much knowledge as I could, as fast as I could, um, I felt a lot better after I got all that information, even if it was kind of scary to read through all of it. Okay, really good insights. And I do, it is nice to, to be able to kind of lean on some of, you know, our colleagues in, in the healthcare field. And, um, you know, sometimes we know of somebody or they know of somebody who is specifically in oncology and it's nice to, to lean on them for some information because it, it can, I'm, I'm sure it can get very overwhelming, um, you know, receiving the diagnosis and then sifting through, you know, the accuracy of information that, that's out there. So 
you also made a really great point on the advocacy part, which is preparing for an appoint- appointments, which I, you know, I tell my clients all the time, you know, we were taught to prepare for so many things in life, prepare for interviews, prepare for, you know, college interviews, job interviews. Um, you know, we just are taught to prepare, but not for our health, which, you know, certainly logically doesn't make any sense, but it's just not something that has, has been part of societal teachings. And it is so important because you never know, you know, the day you go to your appointment, you never know how you're going to feel. You may not remember anything you wanted to ask. You might not know what to ask, but um, spending that time to prepare can make that appointment feel so much more, uh, you might feel so much more at ease, but also feel like it's so much more productive and effective. So I wanted to, yes. to emphasize that. And I'm glad that you that you said that. Well, from your blog posts and um, self-descriptions, I'm gathering you kind of like me have uh, like to have some level of control over things. I mean, we're kind of, I feel like pharmacists in general are a little bit type A. It kind of draws in that personality. Uh, what, what would you say this journey has taught you about sort of releasing that need for, for tight control? Has there, have there been any, you know, sort of mindset, sort of spiritual shifts around, uh, around that concept? Yes, definitely. Um, not, not one that came easy. I don't, I don't feel like, but, um, something I've definitely learned, uh, I would have considered myself prior to cancer, a religious person, you know, um, prayer, going to church, reading the Bible, um, were normal activities, like weekly daily activities for me. Um, but there's a difference in, you know, when everything's going perfect, and you're praying about your perfect day and, you know, your prayers are more about like a job promotion or it'd be nice if this or that happened. Um, and then they change to praying for health, um, for the next day that can be kind of an eye opener, um, in terms of type A personality and wanting to be in charge. It, that was very difficult for me. So I'm, I'm definitely, you picked up on, you know, a planner where I have my planner. I always have a planner and everything's written out to a T and I have appointments and this and that. And all of that kind of gets turned upside down as a cancer patient. You really have to put that first. And that might mean having to leave work early or call out of work or um, cancel plans or a concert or something you've had planned for, for months because of a treatment. So that, that was very difficult for me. But I've learned that you never really take any day for granted. So um, prior to cancer, you know, if someone wanted to do something at eight o'clock at night and the day before or the night before I was going to work early, I would say probably, no, no, I need, you know, I'm just going to go to bed, take it easy tonight. I have to work early. Now I'm, I'm more likely to say like, you know what? Sure. I don't have anything going on. Let's go. And that's been a big change in my personality. Um, you know, before it would have to have been scheduled a week in advance for me to be able to wrap my head around it. Now it's more like, sure, let, let's go do it. Let's have fun. You know, we're here tonight and that's something we're able to do. Then we should take advantage. Hmm. Really, really good insights. Um, I know I, I used to be that person too. Like, no, I, you know, this doesn't fit into my plan for today and I have to be up early. And there's all these, there's all these rules on the days that, that are self-imposed. You know, we self, we self-impose those. Although I do think rest is important and not taking away from that, but I, I do um, appreciate those insights from a fellow uh, recovering type A personality. <laughs> um, what would you say has been sort of the most surprising part of this journey for you? And maybe the, maybe this is broken into, you know, professionally from a healthcare standpoint and, and maybe personally, or, or maybe however, however it falls for you. Um, but kind of what has been the most unexpected, I mean, getting the diagnosis of course was unexpected, but going through this as a patient, um, being on the other side of it as a healthcare professional, what's been the most shocking, surprising part of this for you? I think 
Mm, okay, this is a hard question. So I think from the healthcare perspective, the most surprising thing is um, knowing that patients have so many different providers in just a diagnosis of something like breast cancer. So you will have your medical oncologist, you might have a, a radio, um, radiation therapy um, oncologist, you also will have a surgeon, probably also a plastic surgeon, maybe physical therapist like I have, which I highly recommend, um, maybe a counselor to deal with the emotional well-being and the stress, and then you have your primary care provider, um, maybe a genetic counselor, um, I'm trying to think, a fertility specialist um, that will walk you through that with oncology, um, kind of all those different people most likely are not going to know what the other one said, which was really crazy to me, um, especially if they're in the same system or even if they're not in the same healthcare system um, through whatever agency, but they all are aware of each other and, the, you know, them all having a role. I, I am surprised by how much the patient has to know exactly what Dr. A said on this date and have those papers with me for this appointment for Dr. C to know what Dr. A had thought so we can move forward to Dr. D's plans. Like I really thought someone helped people more um, with navigating all of that. And it, it was stressful um, even with my background and my type A personality to keep all of that straight and to keep what appointments were when and who had what opinions and whose opinions I wanted to go with. Um, I can't imagine going through that alone without a support system, you know, physically and emotionally, along with like a good filing system and a, a good understanding of everyone's role um, in the in the treatment plan. So I think from healthcare perspective, that that was the biggest thing. On the other hand, from a um, you know personal perspective, I think it was just the unknowns of younger breast cancer patients. So, so hearing so frequently going to all the different, you know, the PET scan or the, the breast MRI, the mammogram, you know, all the, all the different steps. Wow. You're, you're so young. And, you know, I'm, we haven't really treated someone your age with these exact markers, or we haven't really seen this that often. Um, you know, hearing that over and over again is, is it can be scary and it can also kind of, be eye-opening to um, the need for more, you know, research in those of us that that have the ability to partake in those, you know, trials or or talk about our experiences of of kind of needs for our age group um, versus an older age group. I thought I thought it was kind of crazy. Yeah, such important points here. I you know, and I agree. When, you know, when I went through this with my dad, and I I agree that I was shocked at how disjointed their the system was. That how is it possible that everybody's coming in into this room in isolation? That no nobody knows what the other one is thinking, saying. There's been no communication, and I and I have talked to countless people on this podcast who communication is always the primary. I mean, it's very consistent that communication is the primary concern that if they could change anything, that that's what they would change. So I think that it's no question that we need to improve on that. And, you know, you bring up important points with regard to even with your 
typical personality being very detailed, very organized, um, it's still hard. And the knowledge of the medical system, being a healthcare professional yourself, it's still hard. So, and, and that's kind of what I found when I was helping my dad is I would, you know, I would be there having all these questions answered, digging, digging into all the details, getting errors fixed. And I look around and I see all of these people in their hospital rooms with nobody with them. And even if they did have somebody with them, it, the likelihood that it was a healthcare professional might be low. And I just remember thinking, what is everybody doing without somebody to help them? Like I could not even wrap my head around it. I, it was shocking to me. Um, and I think, you know, when we're in the, when we're in our work as a healthcare professional, we don't see that in that way. We aren't able to see it in, in from a patient's point of view. So it's, it's really important um, to, to sort of share those insights uh, with everybody. So I appreciate you doing that. Um, you know, in, in one of your blog posts is kind of going back maybe a little bit to what you said earlier, but in one of your blog posts, you, you said, uh, read a book you haven't had time to read, pray for those around you work out. You are so lucky you can listen to music, learn a dance, actually follow through on a Bible reading plan, start a new hobby, fall in love with an old hobby, play some board games, cook some real meals. Um, just, you know, getting back to the point of some of the things that we would consider small or not necessarily insignificant, but not necessarily things that we put a whole lot of emphasis on. What has this journey kind of taught you about life? Uh, you know, and you, you, you are still you know, pretty young, I guess, in, in terms of, um, you, you know, the length of, of the rest of us, you know, being 40, we feel like we're just, I feel like I'm just now learning some pearls of wisdom in my life, you know, and I, I feel like I didn't have a whole, whole lot of that um, going on in my 20s. But when we go through situations like this, I feel like that learning plateau is, there's a huge steep spike in that. So what do you kind of feel like this has taught you about life in general? Um. I think really, so when I wrote that, it's, it's not to take those little things for granted. It's so easy um, to be annoyed at have, having to go work out, you know, um, for 45 minutes until, you know, it's taken away from you. And that's all you wish you could do was be able to stand up and go work out um, or being able to dance in the kitchen to your favorite song while you're cooking something for your family um, can seem trivial until you know, you just wish you could go make something and, and be able to um, participate in household chores without feeling sick or making it you so tired that you feel like you need to take a nap, etc. So I think, you know, not taking things for granted, but then also just using your time like you want to use it, I think has been something I've taken away. Um, on top of my type A personality, I also and one to fill the whole schedule. Um, if I'm not busy from sun up to sundown, I feel like I wasted part of the day. And I've really learned how, you know, sometimes those things that I was filling my schedule with weren't things that necessarily was giving much back to myself or something that I really wanted to be doing. It was things that I felt like I had to do. Um, I don't really know why you know just like something I felt like I had to check off because it's what the rest of the people my age are doing or you know something that I should be interested in but but really building my time around what do I actually enjoy so if I don't enjoy going out to dinner um, for two hours multiple nights but I do enjoy you know um, right now I'm working on like a yoga um, 
certification. If that's something I'm enjoying and it's helping with my stress level, it's okay to say, no, I, I don't really want to go to dinner with this group of, you know, six people from work or, you know, a club or whatever it is. And instead I rather go home and read my book or I rather go home and do yoga for an hour um, tonight to de-stress is okay. And before, you know, I felt like I, I couldn't say no, I'd have to say, okay, I, I can fit that in. Okay, I can fit that in. And now I'm very much like, this is what I want to do tonight. If you want to do it, great. And if you don't, that's okay too. Like, I'll see you tomorrow. So, mm, so great. So great. I kind of, I kind of put that in my, um, my unlearning, my unlearning pot, you know, like we, we do, we have this learning of the societal ways and then we go through whether it's because of an event or health event or some other event, kind of go through this unlearning, like, oh wait, but maybe I should question why I did that. Maybe I don't need to do it that way. And so I, uh, I think that that's a really great and valuable insight. Give us kind of an update um, as you feel comfortable doing so of where you are health-wise now um, and what you kind of, um, you know, wish for the healthcare system that you are intimately involved with and work in for the future. Um, yeah. So now I'm, I'm doing really well. I am seven months post-op of my partial mastectomy of the recurrence that came um, in, in January. I had surgery in April and then I went through uh, chemo and radiation. So I, you know, I'm kind of back to my normal self as much as possible. You're never really back to yourself. I feel like this changes you so much that you have a new self. So I'm learning my new self. Um, so moving forward with that, uh, finishing up physical therapy for um, some issues with some axillary web syndrome, which is kind of like the opposite um, problem of lymphedema. Uh, it happens in some patients. If you were to you know, look it up or Google where you have um, lymph system basically making a cording under your, your arm and it makes it so you can't really lift your arm and you have very limited range of motion. So that's been something I've been battling all year of getting my range of motion back on my left arm after all these surgeries. So getting that back. So feeling more like myself and fatigue is, you know, kind of gone back to normal. Uh, now just moving into that survivorship um, realm of learning to not be afraid every day of, of recurrence, especially with that having already happened. Um, you know, you, I have to err on the side of, of positivity and just being thankful for being here um, today and not being so scared that I'm going to find something wrong with my health that I am not able to enjoy the day that I was given. So I'm really learning how to, to work through those emotions and, and be able to move forward. So that's kind of what I'm working on now. But health-wise, cancer-free excited really hope to be able to get a really cool tattoo one year cancer free so <laughs> planning that out for a couple months from now so that is all great um in terms of the healthcare society i you know you kind of hit on the communication and my job with um, medication reconciliation and transitions of care kind of goes hand in hand with helping increase the communication with providers when someone's admitted or discharged from the hospital. So I, I kind of see it in my workplace environment as well. But I just, I really hope that um, we can, I don't know if it's hiring more um, case management staff or sometimes nurses work in navigation roles um, as well in like the larger healthcare systems when um, people can't afford a private a person to help with that. But 
just having those people in those roles to really help with the communication, help keep everything straightened out and be the patient advocate if the patient is unable to have the support system that they need or unable to understand everything in real time themselves. Because, you know, like you said before, it's really crazy to see some of the people that have all these different disease states with all these different specialty physicians taking care of them and they have to try to keep it all straight. And that's not even including all the different medications that they're on to keep straight. Um, so I just really hope that our healthcare system moves towards helping the patient be able to navigate and help advocate for what's right for that patient and um, thinking of the comprehensive picture for that patient, not just while they're in a hospital or at a doctor's office, but what does their home life look like and what's best for them um, long-term. Yes, also so important. And congratulations on being cancer-free. That's fantastic news. I know I'm sure your support system is breathing a sigh of relief as well. And um, But what a blessing to have have walked the journey with with that amazing support. So I really appreciate you sharing your journey on this podcast and on your blog. So let's share with people where they can find you, um, find your blog, find more information. Um, are you going to continue blogging? What's kind of your plan for the future? Yeah. So I, I plan on continuing to blog and it will continue to be kind of in real time what's happening. So everything's on Sammy Strong. Um, dot com. That's the website that the blog is linked to that my sister did an awesome job making all that for me because I'm not tech savvy. I can write, but I, I can't figure out the rest of it. So she does all that for me. Um, so she made that. So everything's on sammystrong.com and I will continue to blog. It probably will be more infrequently as I have less um, doctor's appointments than I was having for the last year. But my next stage of things that I will be blogging about that I'm starting to learn about um, which is going to take some time to to learn enough to feel comfortable blogging about is kind of the um, infertility aspect of being 30 and on treatment where I cannot have a child for at least five years. So I will be starting to do some blogging about um, foster care and adoption because that's our next um, big thing that we are looking forward to being involved with. So fantastic. What a blessing. Um, any children who are um, come your way are blessed to have you and your husband. And I really appreciate you sharing with the world your story, because I really think that people sometimes have a hard time finding their voice and sometimes they can find it through others who have shared theirs. So thank you so much for sharing your voice on your blog and on this podcast episode. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. A huge thank you to Sammy for pouring out her heart and soul and story and journey with us here on the podcast and on her blog, which again, you can find at sammystrong.com linked in the show notes. I really find these stories to be so impactful, so inspiring, and I'm really hopeful that you all are finding your own voice in your wellness journey through these podcast episodes. If you have been enjoying them, I would so, so appreciate it if you would go over to iTunes and leave an honest review so others can find us as well. Many, many blessings of wellness to Sammy and all of you listeners as we continue to mind our wellness. I'll see you here again next time. <laughs>